Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that we do not need to miss out on seeing you and having a relationship with you. We thank you for the work of the cross so that all of us can have access to God. I pray that we live our lives with an awareness of that and a willingness to share this good news with others. In Jesus' name, amen. So once again, happy Mother's Day to all our mothers out there. And having a mother, uh, I I found something online that I thought was kind of interesting, and that was things your mom says. And tell me if you can relate to any of these phrases when you were growing up. As long as you live under my roof, you'll do as I say. Are you going out dressed like that? Bored? How can you be bored? I was never bored at your age. Go to your room and think about what you did. I brought you into this world, and I can take you right back. Here's a couple more. Don't ask me why. The answer is no. I'm not going to ask you again. Put that down. You don't know where it's been. Here's one of my favorite. So what if Bob's mom lets him do it? If Bob's mom lets him jump off the Empire State Building, would you want me to let you do it too? Come on. And the very, my very favorite, and I think this is the best one of all, I will always love you no matter what. Now, growing up, there was one phrase they said when I was very little that my mom said all the time to me, and it was, don't eat the flowers, Stephen. And the reason was, is when I was like two years old, I would run around the yard eating all the flowers. It might explain some things, right? So my mom had uh, memorized the number for poison control. We didn't have speed dial back in those days. And so she was constantly calling just to make sure I wasn't going to die from the different flowers I was sampling. But when I got older, there was two phrases that she used to use with me all the time as well. Stop daydreaming and pay attention. I was kind of a spacey kid, Uh, probably am a little bit uh, still, but my mom did not want me to miss out on important things in life, you know, like stop signs and other important things. She wanted to make sure that I was going to be okay, not lose all my stuff, and be able to get from point A to point B in life. Well, she almost succeeded, but to this day, I definitely sometimes miss out on things because I'm not paying attention. And I want to tell you one story that's going to relate to what we're talking about this morning. Recently, I had an incredible opportunity. I'm on the international board for Urban Promise Honduras, and I got invited to uh, Malibu to stay in a Franciscan retreat center, Malibu, California. I had been to California in almost 20 years, and I was super excited. And it ended up being a great opportunity. It was just a few days, and we, there was a staff, uh, some of the staff from Malawi was there, so we had a chance to interact with them and to share best ideas and to encourage some of the young men and women from Malawi. On the final day, I got a chance, a free day. I'm like, I'm in Malibu. I like to surf. I'm not that great, but I'm going to rent a surfboard. So I did that, and I went out in the water along with 100 other people. Apparently, everybody in California surfs. And I'm out there, and I realized one thing. I am really out of shape. And, you know, the waves are big, and I was struggling. And finally, after what seemed like hours, I stood up, and I rode a wave in. I saw a bunch of people pointing on the beach, and I'm like, are they pointing at me? After You know, I kind of rode the wave, and... So I kind of stopped paying attention, but I did see a lot of people kind of standing and pointing. And 
I got in and I walked back to the surf shop to return my board. And he's like, how about those whales? And I go, excuse me? He goes, you didn't see the pod of humpback whales behind you? And I was like, okay, people pay good money to see whales. Like they go on whale like ships to go on, you know, tourists do. And here are the, I miss these humpback whales that are right behind me. And it's not, you know, they're not the smallest mammal in the, uh, in the world, one of the largest. But, you know, I missed out. And I think if we're all honest, there are times when we miss the big picture in life. Perhaps it's the stresses in life when things get overwhelming and we have trouble seeing past our own feet. Perhaps as we get caught up in the routines, kind of that doldrum of day in, day out, doing the same thing, maybe we miss out on the relationships and those people that are closest to us. Or perhaps maybe technology is what's causing us to maybe miss out. There was a recent one of the network news stations had a story that said, are you missing out on life because you are too busy recording it on your phone? Thought that actually for a parent with two kids and we're constantly taking pictures of them, you know, are, are, are we too busy doing that, that sometimes we're missing out on those right around us? Well, I know none of us are wired to want to miss out on anything. We know that from the littlest kid who wants to, it's my turn, it's my turn, I want to see, I want to see. That's what my two-year-old says. But I don't care what our age is, we don't want to miss out on what's most important in life. Aerosmith has a song in one of their love ballads, and it says, I don't want to miss a thing. And I think that resonates with all of us. We really want to be there for what's most important in life. But when it comes to knowing God, is that a a mystery or something that's only available to a few? Where most of us are kind of struggling in the waves and we can't really see God, but only a few see him? Well, the good news from our gospel reading and from the epistles and all throughout the Bible is that we have a God who can be known. We have a God who loved us so much that he became one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. It says in John chapter 1 that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus became one of us so that we would not miss out in knowing him. He lived among people, walked with people, cried with people. He died for all our sins and rose from the dead so we could have access to a relationship with God. And the possibility of knowing God could become a reality For each and every one of us. When we look at the gospel reading, the disciples were spending time with Jesus. And in spite of all this, that God was with them, they never quite got it. They were always confused. And in this passage today where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I think a lot of times as preachers, we like to say kind of like James Earl Jones. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But I think with his disciples, he was like, come on, guys, you still not get it. It's me. I am God. I have come down to be with you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to know the Father, you know me. And they still weren't getting it. Thomas says, well, show us the way. Jesus said, I am the way. And even after that, Philip or, or Thomas says, well, where are you going? Well, we want to go there. And they were just struggling. Thomas and oh, Philip, sorry, was the second one who said, you know, well, we want to see the Father. That will be enough. And Jesus said, after all this time, you still don't know me? So I think it's kind of, in some ways, almost a humorous passage. It's like, really, guys, I'm right here. He's saying this. But it wouldn't be until after the resurrection, when the light bulb went off, and they said, wait a second. All this is making sense. They had that paradigm moment when all the words and the actions of Jesus started to make sense. They were able to see the big picture. 
Well, this morning I want to break down that statement that Jesus said. Because even though the disciples didn't get it right away, the Apostle John who wrote this gospel wrote this for all of us who are believers and those who don't yet believe. And I want to talk a little about those points, and then I want to go into Peter's uh, epistle that we read earlier, a few of the things that will encourage us as a church so we can live out this reality that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So let's start again. On John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When we look at those words, those are the radical center of the Christian gospel. It recognizes that God Almighty has made himself available in the person of Jesus. We call that the incarnation. He has become the reality for us in Jesus Christ. Thus, if you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus Christ's words and actions. So let's look at these words, because although they sound beautiful, they're very challenging for us to live out, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. First of all, let's look at that. Jesus is the way. You look at Frank Sinatra. What did he say? I did it my way. You see, all of us could probably relate to that. We want to do things my way. We want our, our way, even the most giving of us. But Jesus says, I am the way. There's no other. Theologian Karl Barth was speaking at a conference, and one of uh, a, a, a seminarian students said, well, Dr. Bart, don't you realize that, or don't you think that there's more than one way to God besides Jesus? There's lots of religions out there. And this is what uh, the theologian said. He said, no, God has not revealed himself in any religion. He has revealed himself in his son. That is it. In Jesus Christ, God has spoken for himself, and we need to hear that speech. Jesus is the way. That's difficult for us when we want to all take our own path in life. But Jesus is saying, I am the way. But you've got to remember, um, when he said that, he's the one who knows everything about you. He's the author of your life. So for him saying the way, he's the way, he's the road, that makes that path a lot more uh, presentable, a lot more uh, something that we'd want to follow. After he said this, he said, I am the truth. We live in a culture where it says, make your own truth. What's true for you is good, and what's true for me, let's just all get along. But Jesus doesn't leave us that. He didn't leave his disciples that. He said, I am the truth. In the 1999 movie, The Matrix, this film uh, provides kind of a powerful uh, analogy of kind of what the type of truth Jesus was talking about. Even though it wasn't a Christian film, it has some incredible truth in it. You see, the main character, Neo, is offered the choice between a red pill and a blue pill. The red pill would allow him to escape from the Matrix, which was this form of slavery they were in in the science fiction movie, and into the real world, therefore living the truth of reality, even though it was harsher and a more difficult life. The blue pill would lead him to stay in the Matrix, living in a pretend comfortable world, enjoying the blissful, the blissful ignorance of illusion. So his choice was freedom but things would be difficult or just to stay in this kind of pretend world. So let me read you a line from the movie. Morpheus says to Neo, this is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland. 
He used the Alice in Wonderland uh, metaphor. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, remember, all I'm offering you is the truth, nothing more. I love that line, and I love the fact that that choice is not easy, but it brings us into reality. And when we choose to go try to find other truths in life, things get fuzzy. Things become second-rate. We end up living stories that are not great. And finally, Jesus says this, I am the life, and perhaps this is the most difficult one of all, because this means that we have to give our lives to Jesus, and he has control. Bon Jovi, I'm using a lot of songs here, has a song called It's My Life. We're not going to live forever. It's now or never. It's my life. You know, I think that's the way that the, the world goes sometimes. I'm not trying to pick on Bon Jovi. It's a kind of a catchy song. But what Jesus says, it's not your life. It's my life. I know you. I know the number of hairs on your head. I don't want you to miss out and live a second-rate story. I am the way. Life is found by following me. I am the truth. There's no other truth. And I am the life. But that takes a lot of control. Now, some of us, I know when I I work with teenagers, and I know sometimes when I've talked to them about giving their lives to God, they're like, I don't know. You know, that seems like he's going to ruin all my fun. I won't be able to do what I want. Or as a friend of mine once said, that God's like this giant cosmic killjoy in the sky trying to ruin all our fun. And I think adults are the same way. We, you know, we've, we've made something of our lives. We want control. We'll kind of put God over here, and then once in a while on Sundays, we'll tithe a little bit. We'll, we'll do nice things for people. But to get real close to God, I don't know. That seems uncomfortable. But I think it's the opposite. Greg's speech, uh, Greg spoke last week on John chapter 10 where Jesus said, I am the way. I, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And I believe that the kind of life that Jesus is talking about is abundant life that begins now. And when I say abundant, it's not like you walk around with a crazy kind of smile on your face. It means that you're fully awake, you're alive, you see people, you love people, you hurt with people, just as Jesus did when he walked among, among us. C.S. Lewis, in his remarkable sermon on the light of the glory, talked about this whole uh, deal where people think that, well, you know, following God's going to kind of take my desires away. He said this, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased." In other words, God has so much more for us. You think of that image of the child in the slum making mud pies when you could just say, look, right over here, there's a better way. There's a better truth and there's a better life. And it begins by putting our trust and following God. So Jesus said these words to the disciples, I am the way, truth, and the life. And then it clicked. The resurrection was real. They saw the risen Christ. It was then and then It was then and fully then that they understood Jesus' words and actions. They were no longer missing it. Peter, one of the disciples, wrote these words to talk about this then of the resurrection. He said this, Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And that future starts now.
So these early Christians understood that Jesus was the way. Matter of fact, they called themselves the way, their movement of building the church. They understood that Jesus was the truth, and they lived in a pluralistic society where there were many truths and many gods. And they understood that their life, they became fully alive by following Christ and being together in community. They started to live this out. So what does this mean for us as a church? When the reading in Peter, I believe it means a few things. We can live out that Jesus is our way, our truth in life, by doing a few things that Peter mentions in his letter. The first is, I call it a spiritual inventory. Remember in the verse from Peter, it said this, Put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and envy and slander. Paul tells us to prepare our minds for action and set your hope fully on the grace that was brought, that brought us into the revelation of Jesus Christ in another part in the Bible. So in other words, we're preparing our hearts, we're preparing our minds, that inwardly as people who, inwardly, as people who believe, we are getting ourselves right. Now I've had a friend who struggled with alcoholism, and the first step is removing all the alcohol from his house. The second step for recovery has been going to AA and starting to to work on the inside first. Like what has caused you to drink? So one one of the steps is to make peace and to ask for forgiveness for those you've hurt. And then as they work the steps, they find themselves being healed on the inside so they can share their message of the redemption and the healing they've got to those on the outside. So for Paul and for Peter, as he writes to the early church, and this church was persecuted, went through a lot, he's telling them, hey, the first way to live out this reality of Jesus being the way, truth, and life is to take a uh, spiritual inventory, to clean house, to work on our insides, and to know that you have the Holy Spirit to help you do that. The second was, one, is he reminded of people of who they were. It says in 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Now, I know words like royalty don't mean a whole lot to us, but for people back then, that was unattainable. But yet, when they were adopted into the family of believers, they were called royalty. They were called priests. They weren't just people who were just kind of servants, lowly servants, as members of the way, of members of the truth and the life of Jesus Christ, of believers. They were royalty in God's eyes. And Peter wanted to remind these believers of that. So this was huge for them. Theologian Scott McKnight writes this, but the message of the gospel is that by believing in Jesus, these people became adopted members of the family connected with King Jesus, and they too became royalty. So they understood their high calling, their upward calling from God, that they were a part of this. They understood their identity. And finally, they understood with all of this that outwardly they needed to share this message with the world. If we would have continued reading in 1 Peter, it says this in verse 11 and 12. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans or the outsiders or those who don't believe that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. In other words, 
we're supposed to live out this faith. Once we work, as, we, as we're working on our inside, as we understand our high calling, we understand that us as believers are not supposed to keep this insular or from others or stay in our huddle. We're supposed to share this message with the world, to put it into action, to tell people about the hope we found in Jesus, that he is our way, he is our truth, and he is our life. We're inviting people into something that is much bigger than them. Recently, uh, my wife and I have been kind of binging on Netflix, and we started watching the show Friday Night Lights, and we're almost done with it, and it's a great uh, show. I used to coach high school football, so. But there's a scene in there where there's a kid, Buddy Jr., whose dad is this big former football legend in town, and dad goes through a big divorce. The kid goes off to California, comes back. He's isolated. He's smoking pot. He's drinking. He's just a miserable kid. And so the, God get, I mean, the, the dad gets him to join the team. The kid doesn't want to play at first, but then the team takes him in. They kind of give him a hard time at first, but they make him one of their own. And you see this kid who never smiled and just was so disinterested all of a sudden start to come to life. He wasn't a good football player, but he got on the team. He became part of something bigger than him. He began to heal. And I was, I was watching that with my wife, and I said, what a great analogy I was thinking to myself of what we're inviting people into. Out of isolation, captivity, into a community of believers who understands that Jesus is their way, truth, and life who understands that all of us need to continue with the power of the Holy Spirit, work on our insides, get our heart right, who understand that continually we need to understand who our identity is in Christ, our high calling that we have, and that all of us understand that we need to find those buddies, those people in the world that are isolated and bring them into the family of believers. So where are you? Are you missing out on a relationship with God? What do you believe? Well, I can tell you truthfully for everyone here, whether you believe it or like it or know it, that Jesus is your way, he's your truth, and your life. You can choose to ignore that, but it's just going to lead to dead ends, fuzzy philosophy, and a second-rate life. You're called to something bigger, to be connected with the living God, into the family and the community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to the community of believers right here. You're called out of isolation into community, out of sin into forgiveness, out of no hope into hope. Don't miss out on this connection. In the children's Bible, which my daughters have, there's a great paraphrase of John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. It says this, For anyone who says yes to Jesus, for anyone who believes what Jesus said, for anyone who will just reach out to take it, then God will give them this wonderful gift to be born into a whole new life, to be who they really are, who God has made them to be, their own true selves, God's dear children. This is a very personal calling for all of us and for all of you. God is your way. He's your truth in your life. Don't choose other ways, other truths, or false lives. I want to leave you all with a challenge. And the challenge is, A, don't miss out on this. And the way you can do this is by be connected. Be connected to a body of believers. Be connected to the church. Be connected in a a more intimate way. Recently, I know I'm a pastor, and this may sound like it wasn't a stretch for me, but I got involved with a uh, small group of guys from our church. Um, Three of them are a lot older than me, and then a, a couple of them are my age, and it's been awesome. 
and I needed it because I was just kind of just doing stuff here. I mean, you know, you're doing ministry. It becomes like a job. And I felt like I was losing my connection a little bit when it came to my faith. These guys have encouraged me. I've encouraged them. It's helping us to stay connected. And finally, connect those people on the outside. People who don't know about the hope that can be found in Christ. Greg challenged you last week to share your faith with somebody. I know that can be intimidating, but sometimes it's just simply inviting them to something. Asking them how they're doing and praying for them, you know, maybe not out loud, but to yourself for an opportunity to share your faith with them. Jesus told his disciples that they were to be fishers of men. And I know that when you're a fisherman, you don't spook the fish. That doesn't mean you go up to people and say, hey, Jesus loves you. You know, they might run in the opposite direction. But it may mean that you walk alongside with people. And slowly they'll they'll trust you and want to know what makes you tick. That's how you don't spook people and you're able to share this incredible message. So Jesus is your way, truth, and life. He's inviting you to become a part of this community of believers. He's inviting us as the community to continually be renewed inwardly, to know our high calling and to share this message outwardly. Don't miss out. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we can know you. I thank you through Jesus and his work on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can become believers and have access to a relationship with God. I pray for those here today who have not made that decision, who have not trusted you. I pray they would do that now. They would say that prayer and ask you into their heart. And I pray for all of us who are believers that we would stay connected to each other, we could stay connected to a body of believers, and we would help others who are disconnected to find this connection, that you are our way, our truth, and our life. In Jesus' name, amen.